Let me invite your attention to the 16th chapter of the book of Leviticus. Uh, That's an Old Testament book, of course, the third book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. While you're finding that, um, let me just add my excitement over this college thing that is about to begin on the 31st. Really, that's a misnomer, uh, college. It's college age, and as you know, our kids are going to school until they're 46. Um, so it goes from like 18 to 26, that, that age grouping in there. So um, if you've got kids that age and grandkids, whatever, uh, Cafe Eclectic, it's on, uh, it's on Highland, right in the middle of the University of Memphis campus. Um, really a neat place, and I hope you'll um, direct your college students there. Now, you follow as I read, beginning in verse 15, I'll read through verse 22 of Leviticus 16. It reads like this. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sin. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he has made an end of the atoning of the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of Our God, that word endures forever. Guys, I can't and I I don't expect you to uh, remember um, what has gone on in the the earlier parts of chapter 16. We only visit this chapter once a month when we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And um, and I'm sure you lose track, so you're going to have to trust me that I am accurately summarizing for you what's happened up till now. I I can do that rather briefly, but um, uh, as I think you know, chapter 16 is is the establishment in Israel of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Um, It is the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. Um, It is one day, once a year, with one man. Um, and then there's this huge religious uh, ritual that goes on um, in Israel called Yom Kippur. And it involves one bull and two goats. 
And one of those goats becomes the scapegoat. We've already talked about that. But I also read it in verses 20 through 22. But it was mentioned earlier, and so I mentioned it earlier in this little series on this chapter. But uh, So we're down to one bull and one goat, and both of those... Um, both of those animals are killed. The scapegoat becomes a symbol of, um, of the priest putting or laying all the sins of Israel on its head, and it is then the goat carries the sins out into the wilderness to be seen no more. Now, uh, what you may recall, I hope, is that the blood that has been taken um, from the bull... Um, um, <clears throat> is brought back into the holy place, the most holy place, and the high priest sprinkles it on the altar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, here's the lesson that I want us to concentrate on this morning. Up to this point in this chapter, the first 14 verses, everything that has gone on has been designed to address the sins of the high priest and his sons. Got that? The first 14 verses, all the little stipulations have been designed to address the sins of the high priest and his sons. In verse 15, there is a shift in focus. You will notice that in verse 15, it now mentions the people. Now, having having dealt with the sins of the high priest and his sons... The focus now is on the people and their sins. Um, But there's something else in there that you've got to see. Not only is this section of Leviticus 16 telling us about how the sins of the people are addressed, it also includes a part of this ritual that addresses the uncleanness of the tabernacle itself and even the altar. Look at verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar, guys, I understand why blood was shed for the high priest and his sons. I understand why there's a part in this thing about the people's sin. But now he's cleansing a building. And just for the sake of argument, a piece of furniture, the altar. Guys... Can a building sin? Um, Why does an altar need to be cleansed? Um, These are inanimate objects. But they need to be cleansed. In fact, you may remember, if you know much about the Old Testament, that there are a couple of places, particularly in Joshua, where the nation of Israel is told... They're, they're going to build an altar out of stones. But they are instructed, don't use any chisel or a hammer or stone-cutting devices on them. Because if you do, you just mess it up. Leave your hands off of them. Because when you touch them, 
They'll need to be cleansed. <clears throat> what is being taught here? Is, um, is the idea that sin flows out of the pores of my body and gets all over the building and the furniture and the rocks? I don't think so. <clears throat> but I do think this much can be said. I'm sure a lot more could be said, but I think you could at least say this much. The communication here is that our sin is so pervasive in us that everything we touch is defiled. Because in the mind of God, sin is a really big deal. You know, I, I, I say that because I don't think sin is a really big deal to us. In fact, we've, we've come up with words. We've come up with ways to, to avoid calling things sin. We use words like um, uh, mistakes or missteps or sicknesses or syndromes or behavior patterns or diseases. <clears throat> uh, let me give you an example. Um, narcissism. You ever heard of that? That's now a behavior pattern. That's now a, a syndrome. Narcissism. Um, I looked it up in the dictionary this week. And um, uh, Webster gave two definitions. One was a sentence, one was just one word. The one word was egocentricity. Narcissism is egocentricity. And I thought, oh my, um, I've got that one. Um, <clears throat> and you know what? Um, I bet a lot of you do too. Um, let me read you the sentence that <clears throat> Webster uses to define narcissism. An erotic gratification derived from admiration of one's own physical or mental attributes. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? In heaven, I got a hunch they don't call that a disease. There's only one word in heaven that is used to describe that. It's the word sin. You know, several months ago, and I think it was last summer, but you could correct me, um, Robin Williams committed suicide. You remember that? Robin Williams, the incredibly gifted and talented actor. And um, after he had, or a couple of months after he had uh, been buried, um, his daughter was uh, interviewed on some kind of news show. And, and I saw she was very dispassionate. 
She wasn't mourning or weeping or anything. She just said, um, I am going to get very involved um, in helping us find a cure for this disease. Now, guys, there's a lot about that situation. I don't know. I confess that. I mean, there may be things going on here that I don't have the slightest idea about. But, but here's my point. If you call that a disease, then you have robbed me from all hope. Because there's no medicine. There's no... There's no cure for that disease. Some people get staph in their staph infection in their elbows. And other people get suicide. Do you see how outrageous that is? But you see, guys, if you can call something a disease. then I don't have to face it as a sin. That's what I think the point of this Leviticus is. I mean, you need to cleanse the building and the furniture because your sin, our sin, is so pervasive. But not to us. We've found ways to sidestep it. Call it something else. Guys, our sin is is so bad that we damage the buildings when we are when we enter them. We defile the furniture when we touch it. Let, let me give you language that I think you'll really understand. Relationships, marriages. Marriages are ruined not because we went our own separate ways. We, we grew apart. We, um, our lives just went in different directions. That's not why the marriage was ruined. The marriage was ruined because of sin. <clears throat> I'm not just a little selfish. No. I'm sinful. Um, I, I, I'm not, um, I'm not just sowing my wild oats. I'm sinful. My friends, <clears throat> That's not the terrible twos that you see in your toddler. That's sin. And guys, if, if you won't go there with me, that is coming to the conclusion that sin is such a big deal, if you don't go there with me, then when I tell you that Jesus is a friend of sinners, it falls on deaf ears. What's the big deal? I'm a good person. No, you're not. 
No, we're not. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is not simply our uber, uber therapist. He's my savior from sin. What separates me from God is not my shortcomings. It's my sin. The thing that evokes the judgmental wrath of God is not my slip-ups. It's my sin. The thing that ruins so many lives is not that we've been a little naughty. It's our sin. Guys, there is only one remedy for sin. But before you ever long for it, you got to know that the issue for us is sin. The only remedy available for sinners is Christ and Him crucified. The very thing that is being symbolized on this table. So, in the language of John 6, I invite you come drink of His blood. Eat of his flesh and remember all over again that only in Christ is my sin forgiven. Our Father, I, I pray that you will remind us of those things as we, um, as we gather around this table, that you will remind us that what has, um, what has created the division between us and you is our sin but this grand remedy that you have offered us in Christ Jesus, we embrace it eagerly. We embrace him eagerly. It's not that we need a savior. We need your savior, the one that you have provided, Christ Jesus the Lord, and we celebrate his grand work in this sacrament. Meet us around this table. We ask it in Jesus' name.